0: Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here with us today with two of my dear friends who are both pioneers in consciousness. We have Donald D. Hoffman and Dr. Jude Curvin with us. Donald Hoffman received a PhD from MIT and is a professor emeritus of cognitive sciences at the University of California, Irvine. His research on perception, evolution, and consciousness received the Trollen Award of the U.S. National Academy of Sciences. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Case Against Reality, Why Evolution Hid the Truth From Our Eyes. We also have Dr. Jude Curvin, who is a cosmologist, planetary healer, futurist, Author and co founder of Whole World View. She was previously one of the most senior businesswomen in the UK and has a master's degree in physics from Oxford, specializing in quantum physics and cosmology, as well as a PhD in anthropological archaeology from the University of Reading, researching ancient cosmologies. She has traveled to nearly 80 countries. And worked with wisdom keepers from many traditions. And her extensive experience and knowledge of world events, systems, and trends has led her to speak on transformational reforms in the UK, US, Europe, Japan, South Korea, and Australia. Jude also has a best-selling book that just came out that was already on the bestseller list before it even got launched, called The Story of Gaia. Don and I were just talking beforehand, Jude. It's just so much fun. We were saying how the podcast Don shared with us yesterday, there was a gentleman who came on the podcast before him who debunked everything Don said and said, that's not possible in this. And so the guy who then interviewed him, Lex, was being very pointed in his questions, trying to ask questions that might theoretically debunk what he was saying. And I just thought it was fascinating. What we were discussing is that we come from two very different perspectives, and yet you can still disagree and then have these beautiful conversations that might turn into something new.
1: I agree. and Don, I don't know if Jen mentioned to you, but I was in conversation with with somebody who's very much a materialist worldview the other day, which of course is not one that you and I share. And right. yet right. and yet it was it was fine because again, it was it was it was dealing in a civil way and a respectful way those points of disagreement and essentially Mm -hmm. i think certainly the conversations that i have in those terms um always open something up if i'm if i'm open and willing which i hopefully always am to learn then there's always something uh, even if you disagree in a way you it helps me as i think that did for you to hone my arguments as it were to hone my perception and, and sort of look for deeper uh, evidential basis and uh, and coherence for it so it, it's all good as long as that civility retains i think it's all good
2: i, I completely <laughs> agree and most of our colleagues of course are are physicalists so exactly so i mean not, not, so i'd say 98 99 of the people i talk with in professionally you know are, are, are physicalists
1: yes Yes, which we are not. In that sense, I mean, I, I've written as you have. I, I'm happy with the, with the term physicality as long as we understand it to be something very different from, the, from the, the hard, you know, objectivity that, you know, we're taught it is. And both for you and for me, you know, we both know that when we drill down and down and down, the term, you know, the, the, the reality of physicality is far, far more ephemeral. And we find that it's something very different from what it appears to be on the surface. So I loved your dooming of, of space-time, because as I got back to you last time, <laughs> that's exactly what I'd spoken of at the beginning of, of the Cosmic Polygram. So I'd love us to, to explore more of that. And I've read your stuff that you sent through, so thank you so much. In, in dealing with our,
2: our physicalist colleagues, the, the question is, what is the most effective way yeah, exactly. to put out our ideas? and and, and my attitude about that is that starting to talk about consciousness first and my idea that consciousness is fundamental, it, it, that, that that's just a complete non starter. It's non starter. So, so, yeah, yeah. So, so the, the way to, to do it is to say, you know, what does quantum field theory with gravity entail about space time? It, it entails that space time is doomed, and really look at what that means to say that space time is doomed. And then to point out that evolution by natural selection also entails that the probability is zero, that our perceptions match reality, exactly. neat, our perception of space-time. And so that's where we—that's that, where the real progress can be made in, in discussion with our colleagues, is, is saying, look, this is what our best theories entail. Um, do you agree? And if you don't, what? how do you a- avoid these theorems? I mean, these are theorems of, of these theories. So how do you avoid these theorems when they say, um, the probability that space-time is fundamental is zero. Um, and, and why should we walk away from our science when it says things that we don't like?
1: Uh- well, exactly. And that's, of course, exactly what happened 100 years ago when, you know, a hot oven <laughs> led to the quantum physics and all the, all the rest of it. So I, 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 I agree. Right. I, I think um, the other point that I would bring in as well yeah. is, is evidence um, because, you know, we are in an incredibly unfortunate position now. That our technologies have got us to a place where cosmologically and at every scale, certainly down to the quantum, and with a framework that can go down to the Planck scale, we have evidence—you know—at at all scales, literally from atoms to the entire universe, of these self-similar patterns that are informational in the sense that they embody—they embody inherent um, meaning it within them. And I'm and, and so I'd, I'd love to explore that with you some more. And I'd love to come back as well, perhaps to begin with, on some responses to what you've already shared, and the agreement with it, if, if that might be helpful.
2: Very, very good. Very, and I'll just say one thing about what you said, um, but then I'd like to hear. I agree that we're very similar to where things were 100 years ago, right? You know, In, in 1905, Einstein had basically destroyed Newton. With yeah. his 1905 paper on special relativity,
1: in a very, the, in a very nice way, not absolutely. Oh, per- oh, absolutely.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, but 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 completely.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
2: right, but the Nobel Committee in 1922 uh, was very very clear when they gave him the prize that it was not for relativity theory. They did no, not 100%. believe it, even though. And and we're in the same position right now, I think, in physics where where. Physicists realize that space time is doomed. So they've, know, they've known that now for at least 15 years. Absolutely. Plus, so had, longer, actually, but, but but they've actually had alternatives now for 15 years, put it that way. They finally oh. have had <laughs> a serious al- alternatives, not completely worked out, but, but real ones. And what's really interesting in my field of cognitive neuroscience is that this is like the 1905 to 1922 period, all over again. The, the bottom has fallen out from physicalism. Space-time is not fundamental. And almost all of my colleagues studying consciousness, um, trying to do with cognitive neuroscience and so forth, don't know that they're pursuing a, a dead path.
1: Yeah, that okay.
2: They just don't understand it yet. And so I was at a conference a week ago at Chapman on conscious mathematical models of consciousness. I basically was asking all. There were physicists. There are many physicists. So I would, I would just ask them. So, um, what do you think about the idea that quantum theory itself is not fundamental? That physicists have found something deeper than quantum theory, and and I, I felt like a gadfly. But I was basically saying, you know, you guys, this is the old paradigm. There's, there's something new here. <laughs> but anyway, so I'd love to listen to to your thoughts.
1: <clears throat> okay. Well, I'm glad to see that you're a gadfly. I think it's a, an, an honourable role to play, and especially at this, <laughs> and especially at this time. So, so thank and bless you for that. Um, a few thoughts. First of all, what we seem to be finding in all instances, and it was the it was the work the, the quantum articles you, you sent me in terms of um, Grassmannian um, and amplitude hedrons, is all about shifting dimensionality. And a lot of the cosmologists are realizing that when we combine the holographic principle uh, with a deeper informational basis, then again, we get four dimensional space time reducing to essentially two dimensional space time or the appearance that we would refer to as space time. And so, you know, what you're showing with the sort of the, the geometries is a similarity and I think what that's doing is at the 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 level of what we call and and, you know we're we're transitioning terminology I think more of this of course is that the appearance of our universe its four-dimensional space-time appearance looks more and more like as you know my work a holographic projection of a two-dimensional space-time boundary but of that itself that two-dimensionality is also multidimensional in terms of its geometric makeup. So I think the altitude of hedrons are how, and we are going to go back to this, I think we have to, you know, cosmic mind actually articulates the the, the appearance of our universe. Mm. Um, And so I think that's really important. And interestingly enough, the triangulation that is embedded in the multidimensionality of, of, of the hedrons you know, also the um, pixelation of information at uh, the holographic brain of our universe is also triangular. So the Bekenstein areas of, 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 of two-dimensional are also triangular. So I think that Trinitarian geometry seems to embed itself throughout the whole multidimensionality. And of course, the, the I Qing talks about the one becomes two, the two becomes three, and from the three to a thousand things are born. So I think there's something profound in in that relational uh, fundamental that that we can come continue to explore. I think the other thing coming from that is not only does it, of course, space-time in its appearance is is doomed because it is a merger, it's an emergent phenomenon there from deeper. Realms of causation, as is energy matter. So I think we need to, I, th- I think we need to co-link them, and look for that deeper fundamental, which we're doing with others. And the other thing that comes out of out of the the the, um, the amplitude hedron and the work that you're working with is that the two perspectives of unitarity, uh, unitivity, or unitarity and locality. One or both have to go. And my perception is it would be locality goes. And the reason I'm saying that is, first of all, we know at a cosmological scale that we've now seen the the signature, as it were, the the, the mathematical fractal signature of, of, of what I call the cosmic hologram filling the whole of space, you know, from temperature differences within the cosmic microwave background. But also, we, you know, so that's good evidence that, first of all, those, those temperature differences are finite. Everything else in our universe is finite. So in that sense, the, 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 the probability distribution functions of the amputated as the appearance of our universe comes into particularization, as it were, really, I think, need to keep unitarity, unitar- you know, unitary perspective but the thing that gets ditched is locality because what we now know first of all bell's theorem tells us that to work at all to, you know quantum physics has to be underpinned by universal non-locality and secondly we've now measured that out to 12.2 billion light years so i think it's becoming very clear that we can ditch locality which actually therefore opens the door into the work that you've been involved with and the work of The Amplitude of Future. So I think that's really good news. I think the other thing then to say and, and, and to gauge your, your responses and the next steps is that we also, from that those fundamental perspectives, you know, my work, as I think I said in my email, really underpins our, the appearance of our universe in mind and consciousness expressed as meaningful information. But it does so on a universal level, you know, with our universe existing and evolving as a unified entity. So what that does is not only then bring mind and consciousness as the whole world, but it also means that there is no, there is nothing that is not conscious as an observer. So when we talk about observation and particularization in that sense, Mm -hmm. we're talking about our whole universe being both the non-local observer in its entirety, but also its non-local but individuated self-awareness through us and many other perspectives that actually then are part of that holographic scale up, scale down wholeness. Um, and with a new insight, what I've been able to do is bring all that you're looking at through the through the through the lens of what has been deemed the three laws of thermodynamics, but to expand those to three laws of infodynamics, add a hyphen, which is basically saying it's all conscious. And then realizing that those three laws, actually the first is an expression of of how the the reality of energy matter emerges. The second, how entropic space-time emerges. And the third showing the essential life cycle of temperature informational content as an inversely proportional, evolutionary arc of of our universe. And so, there's one more thing I wanted to say. Um, No, I'll stop there because I think it's all hanging together with this. And I, I agree, I think, you know, we don't need to bring in consciousness or mind right at the front. But when we actually, as a lot of cosmologists now do and and evolution biologists now do, realise that, that, you know, meaningful information is all-pervasive, then it gives us a a very nice and slippery slope where the physicalists have very great difficulty not slipping down with the rest of us to to this perception.
2: Are you familiar with Chris Fuchs, Um, cubism?
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm just sensing that, you know, there's a lot of parallel convergent, not parallel, but convergent research going on at the moment. Because what I did in in the cosmic hologram in terms of that sort of dimensionality perspective and also the move towards entropic gravity. Yes, which, of course, is is very easy then to understand as a second derivative of, of the time flow in that regard. Is how many how many researchers are coming at it, and, and they're calling it different things, but they're actually coming at it in a very convergent process.
2: Right. So I, I was um, had the pleasure of being with Chris Fuchs at this conference uh, at, at Chapman University oh, just a couple of weeks okay. ago.
1: Yeah,
2: I, I knew he was going to be there, and, and he and I've had communication over the years—not uh, a lot, but 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 some—and but I got a chance to talk with him and he, you know, he's not a consciousness is first kind of guy. He's, he's a, a physicist and a physicalist, but he thinks that the notion of agent is really critical and that, that, that quantum theory is all about agents and their beliefs. So quantum information theory is about the, de- the subjective degrees of beliefs of the experimenter or the, the theorist. Um, and in conversations um, he said that an agent will always transcend description. He says, you, you, you can't describe me as an agent, for example, because if you say, tell me what I'm about to do, then I will listen to what you're saying, and then I will purposefully um, do something different so that I, you, know, you can never capture me in, in, your, in your descriptions. And, and so there are, but, but he has no notion of, of agent in a mathematical sense, right? So he just, he says, you know, I, I'm a quantum theorist. And I, I say that the quantum states are not objective states. They're degrees of belief set out mathematically of, of an agent. But I don't need to tell you what an agent is. And so so I was uh, in my talk, I actually quoted him about his, his idea that agents are fundamental and said, we, we, we need to make these things mathematically precise. Let, let's let's uh, let's go after a, a theory. Of agents, and so he he and I've had some conversations by e- email since then. He's he's interested, and he's looking at at the work that we're doing on on consciousness. So I'll see. But but on on information, typically information is is thought of as discrete, um, right? So discrete bits and so forth. And I would agree that information is a good description. In fact, a foundational description in the sense that Wheeler, for example, talked about it being foundational. Um, for space time and and um, physics, you know the physics of space time and, and things inside space time, but I have to wonder when we go to consciousness per se, that even the notion of information itself, at least the discrete version of information, uh, may be inadequate because consciousness itself uh, I think may transcend, that we we may be going beyond countable to the entire cantor hierarchy, when we go to consciousness. I, ALF zero through ALF whatever is, is all on the table. And, and so that any notion that we have, at least of standard information theory, will be wonderful for looking at the projection of consciousness into our little space time. But, but that the mathematics that we need for consciousness itself um, will probably need to be non-computable, for example. So the very notion of computation would probably be too limited. So we'll have to transcend computation. Um, we'll have to transcend uh, countable sets, and therefore the standard um, discrete notions of, of information that that are, for example, at the the base of you know, Hawking's work on black holes and, and so forth. So so, I, and I also think that, and this is I'd love to get your 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 feedback on, on this that that is one thing for us to say that. Um, space-time isn't fundamental and consciousness is For us ever to be taken seriously we, we have to what precisely our definition of consciousness is and how precisely that definition of consciousness and, and whatever dynamics we have to we have to say what the dynamics of consciousness is and and why why it's doing what it's doing and then we have to say with absolute precision, how space time arises and, and 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 actually get back quantum field theory and evolution of natural selection as special cases you know holographic projections if you will of this deeper dynamics of consciousness that itself um, may not um, be captured by traditional discrete information theory it may be captured there are versions of information theory that that are not discrete and and they're they're mathematically much more difficult and so something along that line may apply um but but i would so i would say that just as like alan turing started off the whole field of computation today computer science was based on turing saying i'm going to tell you what a a computer is a computer is and he wrote down this six tuple right he has a set of states, a finite set of transition rules, start states, halt states, and, and and then his claim that anything that can be computed can be computed by this universal Turing machine. So it was and and I think that my attitude is that until we have something that precise on the table for consciousness, so that when we say consciousness is fundamental, we say here is mathematically exactly what we mean, and here's mathematically exactly how this dynamics of consciousness can give rise to space-time as just one of its holographic projections. Of course, uh, my attitude would be that there could be countless other quote-unquote physical universes that that consciousness is exploring. So I was wondering what you thought about that kind of attitude toward the project.
1: I I go along with that. Um, And I think for for what I can contribute best Mm -hmm. is that articulation of mind, cosmic mind and consciousness that does essentially, uh, you know, create an emergent universe. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we have the appearance of space, time, and energy matter, and we have the, the the sort of algorithms to make it hang together and exist and evolve as a unified entity, we call the laws of physics, and you know, the thermodynamics of to the infodynamics of that. So, you know, I agree with you. I think it is a transcendental at the deepest foundation of consciousness, of cosmic mind and consciousness, it is transcendental. Um, and when we look at how our universe is and its appearance as the emergent phenomena uh, of such vast intelligence, then what I've been sort of focused on is how does that happen? And that very much seems that, you know, mind in its transcendent, cosmic mind in its transcendence does articulate its causative intention, as it were in in a universal alphabet of two letters which is ones and zeros but they you know just as our own alphabet's 26 letters and of itself the letters don't have meaning there is universal meaning in the way those ones and zeros you know are then accumulated into planets and people and trees and plants and all the rest of it and so what i've been doing is 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 perceiving how that transcendental ultimately infinite eternity of cosmic mind creates a perfect universe such as ours where over the thirteen point eight billion mm. years there's been an, an evolutionary arc it embeds an evolutionary impulse from simplicity to complexity and individuated mm. self-awareness within its non-local holographic um you know existence and evolutionary art so that's where i've been focused on because i think the other point you made, which I think is really, really vital, is if we start from that transcendental consciousness with a lot of the folks that are currently physicalists, mm-hmm. materialists, when, you know there is such a, a barrier. But if we come in with this approach of a holographic brain, because a lot of cosmologists are already pretty much there in mm-hmm. terms of a holographic brain and information, they're not quite there in the realization that it's all meaningful information which of course then does you know preset a, a cosmic intelligence to create it. but we've actually got the evidence that we can run this modeling through a, a, a universe that we can perceive and, and measure and, and make sense of within that comprehension. That doesn't preclude the foundation of transcendence that you're working with. What it does is it sort of says, and this transcendence to create a great thought that we call our universe, <clears throat> the best understanding we have and the emergent understanding we have is, is, is it happens in this way, it does it in this way.
2: Right. right. Uh, yeah, I agree. So, one, one thing that Deepak has said sometimes is that you, he quotes Rumi and you'll and say that the, the language of God is silence all else is poor translation and and, and I think that there's some uh, really important insight there in, in the sense that that when, when we're talking about the, this fundamental consciousness it, it's right that it, it transcends any description and yet as scientists that's what we do right as scientists we're we're, we're writing down mathematical, models and, and so so I think that I'm with we have you have to be very humble, right?
1: I'm I'm absolutely with you on this. And I think that's why your work is greater, bigger than my work, because that's what you're looking to do. You're looking to who said it, understand the mind of God. Um, oh, Hawking. At that deepest,
2: oh, no. deepest level. Oh I was I was it was well also Einstein said that. I want to know the mind of God, all else's details.
1: <laughs> exactly, but you know, you're paraphrasing him. You're paraphrasing Einstein. So,
2: and, and and yet, as scientists, we we know, we we actually know that no theory could ever be the theory of everything. We talk about a theory of everything, but but deep down, we know that that's just a figure of speech because it's a figure, a theory of everything except our assumptions. And and as soon as we get a theory to explain those assumptions. Our our new deeper theory has its own assumptions, and so that's so so it's it's, it's I mean it's child play to understand that there's no theory of everything, uh, and and so there is a sense in which, as scientists, we will always be baby beginners in our descriptions of the deep consciousness. We'll always be baby beginners, and yet and yet, with the full humility that we will always be scratching the surface. If, if for no other reason, then we understand what happens when we're not precise. We become dogmatic. We think we know more than we than we really do. And then we get into fights over stuff that, that we, we, if we were just precise, we would realize we're wasting our time. And, and so there's something about the precision. And so so my attitude is that, of course, like the mathematical model of consciousness that I'm putting forth, uh, of course it's it's not a theory of of everything and and of course, I'm looking forward to it being replaced by a deeper theory. But that deeper theory will be replaced by a yet deeper theory and that's and that seems to be not a bug but a deep insight into the very process of consciousness understanding itself. That's what physics in some sense why consciousness created physics. It's a little playground of of VR for consciousness to play around in and, and go, wow, I made all this and and even get lost in it, right? Most of us, I would say 99.999% of people I've run across have been completely lost in the game. We're, we are all deeply one with that consciousness. We're not separate from it. And and yet most of us have no clue that that's the case. And most of us have to go through deep amount of suffering to wake up to that. And, and that I think is no accident. I think that's what consciousness is about immersing itself into a virtual reality that's incredible, like this billions of light years across, trillions of stars, hundreds of billions of galaxies. Impressive, and yet... I'm not just this little entity inside this vast space time. I am the consciousness that's creating all of it inside of me and waking up to that fact. So it seems like that is not like an accident or problem that's sort of unique to us. And why aren't we smarter? It's rather this is what consciousness is about. It's it's about creating universe after universe. And ours is just one of countless. If you think about it, you know, we're so limited. Try to imagine a new color you've never seen before. Try to imagine a five-dimensional shape. We, we, we can't do it. It, it, it. I can imagine a three-dimensional shape, and that's pretty impressive, but so many problems that I work on would be really helped if I could just imagine things in five dimensions or six dimensions, right? That would be – and yet I can't. But I am not separate from the universal intelligence, that presumably can that, that that so so I'm a consciousness I'm a consciousness has projected itself down into this form where it's shackled itself to only be able to perceive in three dimensions. It can't even perceive in four. They imagine things directly in four, and 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 yet consciousness then it gets lost in that. It fall. It's like it's asleep, but then it wakes up to to what it really is. Does that sound at all reasonable or?
1: It does my my differentiation, and it's purely a differentiation because I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. We're, we're inseparable, you know. There the, is that reality. It, we're inseparable. We just have this appearance of separation, just as we have the appearance of energy, matter, space, time as emergent phenomena. I guess my sense of agency, um, which I agree with you again fully, is at what scale of the fractal hologram are we talking about here? Because if we're talking about human beings, I would, I would describe us as microcosmic co-creators of our universe. and our universe is a macrocosm of, of or you know a macrocosm as such as, as a, 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 a for the transcendental cosmos. So when that agency of that macrocosm flows through us, and of course we're all part of this non-local inseparability, then we have that agency at that microcosmic level. But mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. thing that I find interesting too yeah. is our consensual perception, mm-hmm. which you know, is of a universe of, of space time, even though now we're realizing, as the ancients of course did, and the, the wisdom teachings always said to look beneath, look beneath, beneath. Um, nonetheless, we have a consensus that we, we are part of a universe that began 13.8 billion years ago rather than yesterday. Mm-hmm. In that perception, we have a universe of which we are um, uh, having our human Earth walk on our, our planet Gaia. And the other thing that, that, just to bring in here perhaps, and I wrote extensively about it in the story of Gaia, is this arc from simplicity to complexity and ever greater individuated, self-aware agency within the the overall piece. And and that, in a sense, does also rewrite evolutionary arc and and certainly evolutionary biology, because it takes us way away from this silliness of random mutations as driving the piece Mm -hmm. um, into a much more um, meaningfully informationally guided process of evolutionary opportunity to, to to really enable such microcosmic co-creators to, to to emerge, you know. Obviously, not I say obviously, but my own perception is it would be an, an, almost unconscionable for our universe to just invest in human beings on this on this you know scale. <laughs> right, right. But, yeah. These
2: are wonderful and, and, and challenging ideas. For me, I I. I completely agree with what you're saying and and for me, I also see a paradox here and, and, and the paradox is on, on the one hand, we, I think we, we agree that we're not separate. We're, we're part of the one consciousness. So there is this one consciousness and 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 it takes the forms of Jen and Jude and Don and and, and various other forms and and here it is it's the consciousness talking to itself through various avatars. <clears throat> And that's that's I think one very valid and important perspective. On on the other is the the idea that you put out, which is that in some sense we're we're co-creators that we're 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 all, and and somehow those two different they, they at first seem at odds. There is just one, and we're images of the one, and the other that no we are all genuinely. Jen, Jude, and Don are all making genuine contributions original contributions to something as well. And, and so to understand how, how those two are, are could both be true in, in a non-trivial, in a mathematically precise way, how can we get both of those? And and, 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 and I don't know, but we can go at it both ways. So the, one way I'm going at it is to try to start with the first view, that we're all co-creators and, and, and just have little models of the little creators. And how they interact, right? Because I'm not smart enough, right, to to go for the one, <laughs> I, I, you know. And the reason maybe I'm not smart enough is because the one has projected itself down into something called Don, which is on purpose not smart enough. <laughs> so 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 Don is projection of the one, but with all sorts of restrictions on on his mind, such that he can't even think, uh, imagine in four dimensions, much less imagine the full depth of of the divine. So in that sense, so Don and, and, and people like Don are forced to start with the little pieces, a mathematically precise theory of little agents, and build up maybe to 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 the one. But ultimately, what I would love is a a theory of the one that's 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 and the dynamics of the one, and then show that when we take a projection of that, that we get back. So, for example, the the one could be timeless. Right. So there's no entropic time. So, and, and go, yeah, go ahead, Jude. Mm-hmm.
1: I think what you're doing is so wonderful because you literally are expanding beyond what we would call our universe. You that's are have to, do. to the to the so, and what I'm doing is 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 leaving you to that.
0: <laughs> I feel like Jude. I feel like you're looking at it from like way out at the beginning of all things in the beginning of the universe, looking in, and Don's looking at it as an exactly. individual right it's here. Absolutely, that's exactly yeah. how I see your perspectives meeting, and it is so beautiful. I mean, the way that like your your theory of the one, yeah. Don, I think is so fascinating because if you look at if you look at this theory of the one, and it's like Bruce Lipton and so many others talk about, everything is really a microcosm of the macrocosm and ties into the whole holographic principle, is that it's just one thing being projected out over billions of souls, you know, is the way I see it personally.
1: Jen, I think Dong's going even beyond that, because I agree with you on the holographic principle. It doesn't become a parallax, a paradox, it's a parallax because we're seeing that the, the sort of the whole universe projected in Don, Jen, Jude, Gaia, everything, everything else. Uh, uh, it's wholeness individuated. But I think, Don, you're going beyond that. When you talk about the one, you're not just talking about our universe. You're looking at the ineffable, transcendental, infinite, right. eternal ground of all being. And that's where I'm leading you to it. <laughs>
0: I I love this. This is so much fun. (laughs) And it's, it's interesting though, Don, because if you look at it from the one, like you're talking about, the Jude's version of the one, like the bigger version of the one as the whole, how do we begin to recognize, like bring the consciousness into it? How do we begin to recognize the one in all of us as the one reflected back to the self, whether it's the one the stars were looking at, billions of light years away, the one person sitting in front of us here, you know, in this conversation, how does that actually shift our perspective? And could our minds even grok that idea of the one is the all and vice versa? Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, a couple ways that we we can do that. Um, one of them is, as like many spiritual teachers tell us, that if you let go of thought, and you persist in, in just being without thinking. It becomes apparent that just that one move consistently done on a daily basis opens you up because once you let go of thought, you, you then are face to face with ultimately who you are beyond thought and and the infinite depths there. And, and there, again, you can't know that. In in the way that a scientist would like to know it, in terms of mathematical model, you, you know it by being it. And and the deeper you go into that being, the the, the deeper you, you know that. So th- that's that's one direction. But but very few of us, right? Very, very few people that I know are, are there. And and even in spiritual communities, it's so difficult to let go of thought. So 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 even though we know to do it. Um, the habit uh, is, is so very, very strong, and and so very, very few of us actually have let go of. You know, there are some spiritual teachers that I, I believe really have, and and when I listen to them, I really do feel like oh, I am in touch with something very, very deep here, very, very deep. But but there there are very few and far between, and, and many who who, are, who talk it are, aren't aren't obviously walking it. Uh, it's it's but there are. There are a few, enough that I know that it's possible.
0: <laughs> so yeah. I have a fascinating question that ties in actually due to the unit of narrative we're working on. I posted one of our first memes that yesterday actually on social, and it's a meme from the unit of narrative, which says, mind and consciousness are not something we have, but rather what we in the whole world fundamentally are. And I got an interesting perspective, and I would love to hear both of your two cents on this on uh, mm-hmm. Facebook around it was hmm, consciousness is what we are but mind is what we use to create our world in death we are without mind and our only consciousness alone so i would love your thoughts on that from both of you from both the cosmological and the conscious agent perspective <laughs> <laughs> thank you <Don. laughs>
1: um i i had this conversation some time ago um with max bellman's professor max bellman's don i don't know if you know max okay a, great.
2: A, a little bit of his work a little bit yeah
1: yeah and he mm-hmm. wrote that one of the seminal books on the nature of consciousness and he talks about reflexive monism and he talks about the you know so so there is there, there is no paradox but it's a parallax between the whole and the differentiated reflection yeah mm-hmm. um but he also really brought me up on the differentiations he sees it between mind and consciousness and for him, mind is, is the, the, perhaps the most appropriate term to use for transcendental cosmic, you know, transcendental cosmos, just as Einstein called that cosmic mind. And for him, consciousness then becomes that sort of reflexive monism of, of awareness and agency. Yeah. So for, for Max, and this is the way I've been using it ever since, which is why I say oh, mind hmm. and consciousness aren't what we have, they're what we in the whole world are, is that differentiation. Don, I don't know how you, you perceive that.
2: Well, I, I agree with the distinction. I think that, that probably people use the words mind and consciousness alternatively to either way. So so there there is, I'll say there's the deeper and then the, the shallower. The way I typically think about it, I use the word consciousness to talk about the deep thing that that, that transcends all the space and time and the mind to represent what's like cognitive science studies, right? So, you know, it's that, that mind science. So, that's the way I've used the terms. But, but now with this discussion, I realize that other people could use the terms completely opposite to the way I use them. So, so we have to be careful. So, there is the one that we can – so, in cognitive science, we use standard information theory to model all aspects of, of human cognition and emotions and perception and so forth and and so we call ourselves the, you know the science of the mind um, and of, of the neuroscience of mind and so there and and consciousness from that point of view uh, may or may not be a scientifically valid subject matter right so in, in my field you know it's relatively recent that we've been able to talk about consciousness we're certainly talking about mind. And, but, but consciousness, who, who knows? So that's the way in, in the field of cognitive science, we have used the words mind and consciousness. But I, but I see here that there, some people may use them in an entirely opposite way. Um, it, it, when Einstein says, I want to know the mind of God, right? He's using it now in this, this deeper cosmic kind of sense. So, so I guess we always have to be very, very on that. But, but I think that, you know, in Jen's question too, that, you know, when we die, the issue of when we die: do we, do we let go of the mind and, and go back to the consciousness? So again, where we're, now I think we have to be careful with how we, how we mean mind and how we mean consciousness. But if if by mind I use it, where I'm saying it's the 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 kind of thing that cognitive science is talking about, where they talk about mental processes processes of the mind, and a lot of that is. Um, building stories. So I'm building models of myself. I'm building models of you in, in an evolutionary context I'm figuring out how I can compete against you successfully or cooperate with you for my own benefit. right so there's there's all so there's all this evolutionary game theory going on and and, 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 and it works when you use that it actually works to predict behavior. It's uh, stunning I actually was able to use evolutionary theory to actually predict new psychophysical experiments at, about people's ratings of attractiveness and, and to prove them. So th- this, it, it works, and it, and it makes predictions that uh, you test in the lab and they work. So, so it's true of us in, the, in this interface, even though in some sense evolutionary psychology is true of us, and that's the psychology of competition, me versus you, only cooperating if it's going to be mutually beneficial, not, not a deep altruism. Even the parental altruism is altruism to share my genes and make sure my genes get passed on to the next. So from that, in that framework, that's sort of the mind story. And when we die, I think that we do let go of that because I think that that's. So I'm not even sure that any of my story about you know I was born and such and such to such and such parents and got such and such degrees. I think that whole story may may go, um, and. We'll we'll look back on it much like, you know, I put on a VR headset and I and I have I'm I'm I've got an avatar. It's a first person game and I have some avatar. And I go through and, and play the game and make friends in the v, in the metaverse and so forth and, and you know, accomplish certain things and build houses or whatever I do. I, I race cars and beat people. And then when I take the headset off, it's sort of like, well, that's not me. That was a game I played, that was a story I told, and I learned something in the process, but I'm ready to let go of that avatar. That's you I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I got identified with that avatar. I lost myself in the game for a while and and forgot who I was. But then I, I woke up, and and so it's in that sense, Jen. That I think that 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 notion of mind, where the mind is the little thing and consciousness is taken as the big thing. So we just I mean, just make sure I'm using the words in the way that's 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 understandable here. Then I think we may let go of mind and and and, and in death. Re- return to a deeper consciousness, where we're then ready to try on a new uh, headset. Now, now let me try a, a, a VR in which I can actually imagine things in ten dimensions, and in which I have twenty dimensions of color experience and some new senses that I never had in, in what we call space-time world. And and so then we try on all these other things, and and we play that for a while, and we learn something else about the infinite possibilities of consciousness. And then we put that headset down, and we and we go on ad infinitum. So that's how I think about things, but I would love to,
0: Brilliant. to push Brilliant. Jude, I can tell Jude was taking notes there. I can't wait to hear what Jude has to say. <laughs> that was really good, for, Don. I love that.
1: That was great, Don. Thank you. I, I keep coming back to humanity and I keep yes. coming back to the universe, our entire universe and a whole evolutionary arc from hydrogen through stars to and galaxies to interstellar dust clouds and prebiotic molecules that cooperated in interstellar dust clouds, even before planetary systems came into being. And then the whole sort of birthing of Gaia as a a water planet and nurturing continued complexity. Um, And so I'd I'd like us to to perhaps explore a little more about that much bigger picture of a universe that exists to evolve as a unified entity. And beyond our own sort of human-centered perspective of of conscious agency in that regard. Because one of the things that, that, you know, writing about in the story of Gaia was this profoundly intelligent guidance. So, for example, in in the evolutionary story of our universe, um, aspects of complexity were actually being informationally meaningful, informationally guided into potentiality. Millions, sometimes tens or more millions of years before they were absent. You know, able to be so sort of then manifest in part of that evolutionary art. So, what you see are things like biomineralization toolkits at a very, very early stage of the evolution of animals uh, during the Eddie era, but they wouldn't actually be used until after that era came to an end in a mass extinction. And then the next wave of simplicity to complexity and greater individuation and, and Consciousness in that sense, individuated agency came into being. We also see in that whole process things called reticulous assembly, where literally the Gaia sphere brings together on a horizontal basis rather than a linear basis huge amounts of informed complexity Mm -hmm. to actually take that next stage of that individuation and an embodied awareness. So I'm just wondering your sense of that because uh, here we are, and I, and I think I shared with you a while ago. I had this vision when I was writing the Cosmic Hologram of literally standing at the bow wave of space time. I was literally at the bow wave of our universe mm-hmm. as the holographic, you know, brain continued to expand and and time to flow. But I was outside space time, but nonetheless, I could I could sense and I could see and I could experience what was playing through, but it's that evolutionary arc of, of informed complexity that guides the whole process and, and your sense of that.
2: I, I think that that's very important and that it goes well beyond the standard, it's all randomness and chaotic processes and, and there's, there's no no purpose, no intelligence and and it's random mutations and, and, and so forth I think again as we talked about earlier there's the our, our two different perspectives on trying to get this this thing beyond space-time and and beyond any other headset information as you talk about it where it's really obvious that, that things are not random it's intelligent and this evolutionary process is 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 deeper than standard evolutionary theory would would lead us to believe. It's not just random mutations. There, there's some deeper intelligence behind the whole thing. How do we how do we get get at that scientifically? And and the idea would be, if we have a dynamics at this much deeper level of consciousness, where f- for example, um, there is no increase in entropy in the dynamics. So it's a, it's a non-entropic. Dynamics in the sense that no entropy is increasing. But when you take any projection, you get an increase in entropy. So you're looking at this one dynamics. There's no increase in entropy, but any projection of it does lead. And and by the way, I I have a a concrete example. So I have a a Markovian dynamics where the, the entropy is constant. It never increases. But, but it's a theorem, and I can show you, It's a I can present the proof in like four steps. It's a trivial theorem and trivial proof that any projection of that Markovian dynamics based on conditional probability leads to a a, a new dynamics. It's, it's, a, it's a projection of this deeper, but the new dynamics has an arrow of time. It has an increasing entropy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you.
2: And so there could be this deep dynamics in which for example there is no limited resources so at the deeper level there there are is no competition there are no limited resources but and and it's doing what it does but when you take a projection then you prove that it looks like evolution by natural selection at first blush it looks like competition it looks like limited resources when you look deeper you start to find this information that you're talking about that that it's not just random, and then you wake up and go, oh, oh, that's because this is a projection of something far, far deeper. And, exactly. and that's when I looked at it at one level, it looked like random, and but when I looked at it deeper, it looked like it was intelligently designed. But then when I look at it even deeper, I realize you no, know, it's just a projection of something in which um, all these all these predicates just uh, you know are are artifacts of the projection. Totally,
1: totally. Okay. And that goes then to your transcendence. Right. And and so that I think that's where we meet. And and you know, I've I agree. Exper- I've you know experienced multidimensionality and luminosity from a very early age. And so I I wholeheartedly perceive that level of transcendence. And for wow. me, my what is mine to do, it seems, is come from that and say, and how does that you know, infinite intelligence, you know, project. appearance of what we call our universe and why at a deeper level why and and I think that speaks to what you say as well and what Jen speaks to which is you know why uh, do we do we participate in a universe that evolves from simplicity to complexity and I think it is to know itself to experience itself to be ever more individually aware of itself as part of a beautiful thought experiment of an infinite cosmos,
2: I, I agree, you. It seems like that's the, the I'm not saying that the idea is right, but it's the the only idea that I've seen that's that that's deep enough <laughs> to to be taken seriously as as being right. Um, there is Girdle's incompleteness theorem that leads in this direction, right? That Girdle says that, you, you know, in summary, that no matter. How much you explore mathematics, there will always be infinite more mathematical structure to explore. Yeah, it's it's never ending, and and if consciousness, now I'm using consciousness as as I, I use it instead of mind, right? So I'm using cognitive science version of mind, which is the the little mind that that we can do with our information processing models, and consciousness is the deeper the deeper thing. That that if consciousness is all there is, that's the fundamental nature of reality. Then mathematical structure, and ever be about consciousness and the possible varieties of consciousness and you know, structures and experiences, and and Gödel tells us that there is, in principle, no end to that exploration, and and so that that means that that there is, in principle, no end to the explore that consciousness and its exploration of its own possibilities is, in principle, never ending in some very very deep sense that I still haven't wrapped my mind around. I mean, I, I, it's, it's so deep, I, I just, you know, I can't think in four dimensions and I haven't wrapped my mind around this thing. So, but it seems like there, if, if and I, I'm, again, I'm not saying that this is right, but it, at least it's, it's the only idea I've run across that seems deep enough to be taken seriously, which is, it comes from Girdle, which is that there's a literally unbounded exploration of consciousness in principle because there's an unbounded exploration of mathematical structure.
0: So Don, I don't know if you read that article that Deepak had forwarded both of us. And I think I sent it to you too, um, Judah. It was about the Tagore's perspective that we're having a human experience versus Einstein's perspective that we're having an objective experience. And then the three mathematical structures that could possibly apply to either one. It was really fascinating. I'd love to get on a call with all of us at some point because I've read it once or twice and I'm still trying to grok it and get my head around it.
1: I I do love it. I mean, I've worked with uh, Rodri Samuel, who used to be the CEO of Dartington Estate, where Tagore got very involved with with the Elmhursts back when. I mean, my sense of it is that it's an and-and rather than either or and i'd love another call to just explore that aspect
0: yeah Yeah, i think we're at time now but there's so much i want to talk to you both about the fifth dimension and we've been talking about 2d and 4d but then where does 5d come in and how does that translate to consciousness so i i feel like let's do another call maybe in a month or so and then we'll figure out what we want to do with this because this is just so interesting and i'm going to go back personally and re-listen to it multiple times because there's so many interesting ideas and that's what i love about you're divergent, but at the same time, complementary perspectives that come to the same conclusions from such beautiful, disparate perspectives. It's just it's really lovely to hear the both of you share. Thanks, Jen. I, I do describe it as parallax. I
1: yeah, really parallax do. i don't a think it's way divergent to it. actually. It's it's almost the you know, the whole in the many and the many in the whole, and and where do you, you know distinctly, you know, just put a permeable membrane around a universe that then is is a great thought <laughs> within an infinite cosmos. <laughs> right. Right. Well,
0: Absolutely. I, I love and cherish you both and I'm yeah. so grateful great that we get to have these conversations. We'll schedule another one because uh, my God, we could just we're barely scratching the surface of consciousness.
1: <laughs> I would um, love to I,
2: I, I would very much love to. Okay. Um,
0: um, me too. Thank you, dears. Lots of love, love you, to you both. Much thank you. love to you both too. Take care. All right. Have a good week. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra, and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.